Exactly. And maybe that's the reason why, I mean, look, this is a resolution that doesn't name Representative Omar specifically, but it condemns hate, all forms of hate, hate. including anti-Muslim bias, right? So maybe that's the reason why every single individual who voted no on this resolution is a Republican, including Liz Cheney, Louis Gohmert, uh, Ken Buck, Andy Briggs, Lee Zeldin, Ted Budd. I mean, okay, look. What are they voting no why on? Are you, what are you voting no on? I understand if a progressive says, hey, I think you're targeting Ilhan Omar, and I got a problem with this resolution, I'm voting no, because of the uh, implicit message that you're sending. But the Republicans, they're bashing a fellow Democrat, and everything else in there is completely non-offensive. We're against hate against Jews, Muslims, etc. If you vote no on that, does that mean you're for the hate? Welcome to the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast. That clip, courtesy of the Young Turks, they were breaking down the situation with Representative Omar, who caused quite a stir in the House of Representatives when she came out and made comments against the Israeli government that some people viewed as being anti-Semitic. And when the big brouhaha <laughs> came about, about these comments, they, they were huge news, a big deal. Here is a Muslim American woman from Minnesota, newly elected to the House of Representatives, and she criticized the Israeli government. People didn't like her comments. Uh, many people viewed her comments as being anti-Semitic. So what the House of Representatives did was they came up and they, they passed a bill that's called the anti-hate measure. That's basically saying, hey, we as the House of Representatives, our official stances, we're against all forms of hate and discrimination. Now, the bill does not name Representative Omar, but it talks about being against all forms of hate, hate against uh, anti-Semitism, hate against Muslims, hate against uh, homophobia, I should say. White supremacy is actually in there. They use the words white supremacy. We're against all forms of hate. The bill passed, but strangely enough, 23 members of the House of Representatives actually voted against the bill. And it just so happens all 23 members happen to be Republicans. I find that very interesting because, like, like the clip said, what are you voting no on? <laughs> I find that that's, that's just interesting and strange. Another thing about this topic I will discuss like I said, Representative Omar, she's a Muslim American. I believe her back uh, her background is originally she's from Somalia, I believe, but she represents Minnesota. She's newly elected to the House of Representatives. She is a Democrat. I guess my question would be, and I'm not for or against her comments. It's, it's up to you to decide whether or not her comments were over the line. I'm sure you, you can look them up and find them and for, for yourself, wherever you find content. If, if you feel like her remarks were anti-Semitic, then I'm not going to argue with you. What I will say is being a member of Congress, criticizing the or House of Representatives, criticizing the Israeli government is something you're never supposed to do. And one thing I noticed is if you disagree with the Israel, if you disagree with some of their stances or some of their policies, people turning around and say you're being anti-Semitic. I don't think having a criticism or disagreeing with a policy makes you a hater of all Jewish people. You just disagree with what that government is doing or saying or a policy they have. 
Now, in this particular situation, if you feel like her views were anti-Semitic, like I said, I'm not going to argue with you. That's really not my point. Uh, my point is I've noticed a pattern that every time somebody in a political form or with some type of political power comes out and says, I disagree with some of the policies that Israel have, the first thing they do is say, he, well, you're anti-Semitic and you hate Jewish people and you're racist and how could you know, you're, 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 you're the problem. <laughs> you're promoting hate. Um, I find that very interesting. Not too long ago, Mark, Mark Lamont Hill, he lost his job at CNN because he did a speech criticizing the Israeli government on some of the policies that they have against Palestine. And they said he was anti-Semitic and he hated Jewish people and he had to go. So he lost his CNN gig over that. So. Very interesting. Another thing before I move on with, with the show, because the show is not going to be about this. I, this is just trending, trending in the news. Wanted to talk about it on the broadcast. I assume if you come to this broadcast, you're not interested in finding out what's going on with the Kardashians and Jordan Woods. You, you didn't turn into this broadcast to find out what's going on with LeBron James and those Lakers. You came here for a different type of content, and I'm going to give it to you. One last thought I had about this situation, um, 23 people voted no against this anti-hate measure. And the curious thing to me is, why would they vote no? And I really thought about it, and I'm thinking, the word white supremacy was in this bill. If you look at the 23 people who voted no, 23 Republicans, and the districts that they represent, I would suggest to you that they have a very strong base of supporters who practice white supremacy. And if you're coming out condemning white supremacy, even if it's on paper, and you coming out and you say, you know, I'm against systematic racism, white supremacy, and I think it's wrong, and this, that, and the third, you, they may lose some of their supporters. Don't forget, it wasn't too long ago that our current president was having rallies all around the country when he was running for president. I couldn't tell the difference between the, those and Klan rallies. Black people were going to these things and being punched in the face, stomped out, thrown out. And, and they the black people were getting in trouble. They was getting beat up and the police were coming to arrest the black people and bring them out of there. And I'm like, OK, that's you know very interesting. So my conjecture is the only reason that they voted no against this bill is because they specifically use the language. We condemn white supremacy in the bill and they didn't want to vote for that. I believe if the bill was just strictly, hey, you know, we condemn anti-Semitism or we, we condemn radical Islamic terrorism in all forms, shapes and fashions, everybody 100 percent. 100% vote. Yeah, we condemn anti-Semitism. We can condemn radical Islam. But when you throw white supremacy in there, you had some people saying, well, I'm not voting for that. Hmm. Makes you think. Another thing I would say about this before I move on, I'm not impressed by the House of Representatives basically going through with this whole dog and pony show, passing a bill saying or a measure saying our official stance is we condemn hate and we we not we don't tolerate any form of hate here that 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 really doesn't do anything um <laughs> you can't legislate away how a person 
feels personally. I, I don't know how people feel personally about various things. I, I don't know who, who likes who and who don't like what. But if you're in the House of Representatives, I believe your job is to pass laws and policies that could be put in place that are tangible. And there are some laws and policies and rules that can be passed that will give tangible outcomes to people who are affected by hate, all forms of hate, give tangible outcomes to people who have been oppressed and destroyed by by hate, systematic white supremacy, or otherwise. One thing they could do is they could try to pass a law that, hey, we're going to hold police officers responsible for unjustly murdering black people. If you are caught doing this, we're going to hold you responsible. You're going to get X amount of years in prison. We're going to take X amount of dollars from you. This, that, and the third, whatever that looks like. Hey, that's one step. That's one thing they could actually do. Instead, they're, in my opinion, wasting time just coming out with, th- with this thing that's meaningless saying, well, we can, you know, we're, we're, we're not for hate here, which is a meaningless statement. But moving on with the broadcast. There's been a lot of talk lately about the economic structure in this country as far as capitalism, socialism, democratic socialism. (laughs) Democratic socialism is a big buzzword these days. And a lot of people are talking about how it doesn't work, how is, you know, look at these countries that practice socialism and look what they are and look at the capitalist countries and look where they are. I'm not here to argue that. I'm not here to debate that. I'm not here to talk about that. We live in a capitalist society. I don't think that will ever change. Shameless plug. I actually wrote a book about capitalism and racism. Um, Yeah, that's me. But (laughs) moving on with the broadcast, I would like to talk about capitalism and the structure of racism. How capitalism and systematic racism have worked together in America, what that means, how that's affected us, and just give the audience something to think about. Systemic Racism and Capitalism, Alliance of Oppression, available on Amazon.com, by the way. Capitalism needed racism in order to operate. To, To explain further, capitalism needed to steal things in order to come into fruition. If you're talking about a whole class of the bourgeoisie, where are they going to get that injection? They get that from stealing. It's called primitive accumulation, and it's something that has been at the beginning of every new economic system. Uh, In this case, took the form of stealing land and stealing labor. They tried to do that with at first with mainly white working class folks and they they realized the problem that that they were having because they needed white working class folks for other um, forms of labor they needed to figure out um, a way that uh, that white working class would be able to feel safe in their being in the in at this time we're talking about Europe Africa was the answer they stole minerals as well not just land from here but minerals from Africa and labor from Africa. They started uh, stealing people from Africa, ship bringing them here, and white and to explain why this was different, why this was not endangering the white working class. They had to say, "Well, look, 
these are a different group of people. We wouldn't, this, these are not even people. We wouldn't even do this to you. And at the time, you know, they could say Irish were different groups of people too, because Irish were not considered white yet. The theory that of race was invented to justify slavery. Now, before that, they talked about things in nature, nations. It's not like there weren't wars or people didn't hate other people before that, but it was always talked about in terms of nations. It was nations and sometimes there'd be descriptions of people, but the idea that this nation and that nation were related because they looked the same was not one that existed. So this idea of, of race was put forward to justify uh, slavery and to say, look, these are a lower form of being. You should not feel united with them. This is not your problem. This is that. So there was a need for racism. Similarly, now there's the same need, right? Because stereotypes about black folks are used to explain to the white working class that poverty is the cause of people making their own bad choices, as opposed to poverty being the being a necess a, being necessitated by capitalism. The truth is, you cannot have capitalism without poverty. That clip, courtesy of Boots Riley, he said a lot in that clip, and I really want to take my time and break it down in the time that I have. When people talk about cap capitalism, I don't think they think about it in the context of systematic racism and how they both work together. Billionaire William Berg, he's a European gentleman, I believe he's British, he wrote a book called The Necessity of the Poor. And in this book, he talks about how capitalism works, and this is coming from a billionaire, and the only reason capitalism can work is if you have a very small percentage of the population, I believe he said less than 1%, who are extremely wealthy, a very small percentage of the population who are very poor, and everybody else stuck in the middle. You got about 90%, 85 to 90% of the population that's stuck in the middle that is considered middle class who are trying to stay out the bottom and trying to make their way to the top. That's how capitalism works. You have to have poor people. You have to have an underclass of people who are poor who don't have anything. That's the only reason capitalism can work. Reason being, no one wants to be homeless. No one wants to be flat broke. No one wants to be starving. People just aren't designed that way. In the contents, context of America... You have to think about capitalism like this. If it's true that the only way capitalism can work is you have to have a certain percentage of the population who are poor, systematic white supremacy comes in and it says, okay, black people, you are going to be the permanent underclass. You are going to be the class of people who are poor. And everybody else is going to be above you. We're going to thrive. We're going to make the money. We're going to live wonderfully. You guys are going to be the poor guys. We're going to make sure of that. How does that happen? Well, we live in a country where not too long ago, they passed laws, rules, regulations, 
and enforced those laws to make sure black people went in a subservient position. We all know this. We all know about the Jim Crow laws. We all know about slavery. We all know what black people have gone through in this country. I don't have to rehash that. If you listen to this broadcast, I'm sure you have a reference of what has happened to black people in the past. But a lot of people really don't put the two together and think there was a reason this was going on. Not necessarily hate, not necessarily because white people hate black people so much. It was because wealth and tangibles were being generated off of keeping black people in a subservient state. Right. We always hear about the wealth that was generated from slavery. We always hear about the wealth that was generated during the Jim Crow segregation. That's because capitalism and racism have worked together historically and it has not benefited black people. It has benefited the people who were in charge and control, who were making the rules. Capitalism has always worked in the favor of white people in America, point blank period back in the 60s the the black panthers they came out and one of the biggest things they were against was capitalism right the so-called black radical other black radical groups they used to bang on capitalism all the time it's not crazy blackity black let's destroy america talk it's really a conversation that needs to be had that i feel like people don't think about the way capitalism or I'm sorry, racism has been used against black people for capitalistic gains by other groups. We hear about it all the time today. We we hear about why are all these Asian nail shops and hair beauty supply stores in the black neighborhoods? We why are all these carryouts? that we don't own or businesses or liquor stores, all types of things that we don't own. Why are all these businesses in the black neighborhood? Why, when we go to the white neighborhoods, we we don't see those. Well, we live in a capitalist society and systematically us as black people, we've been disadvantaged for so long by what we've been through. We're behind the eight ball. We're about 400 years behind. If you really think about it, I think I said this on a previous show. I hate to rehash this. Black people really only had been free for the last 50 years. We only had we, we've only had rights since the 60s. And you see what we're going through today. One could argue that we don't have rights now. And I wouldn't even argue that fact. But in the contents of, of this conversation, we're, we're, we are behind the eight ball. Right? Other groups, they know about building wealth. They know about generating businesses. They know about. The financial building blocks, the financial basics you need to have to survive and thrive in a capitalistic society, they know already. Other groups come to this country and they know how America works and they look at black people like, well, y'all going to be the ones on the bottom because y'all always been on the bottom. It's designed for y'all to be on the bottom. I'm going to start my business. I'm going to buy a Mercedes, send my kids to college, buy a big house in the suburbs, and y'all going to be in the same ghetto. So y'all always been there. Now, how do we combat that? Well, like I said at the top of this broadcast, or in the middle of this broadcast, we live in a capitalistic society. I don't think that'll ever change. I I don't know what democratic socialism is. I don't think America will ever be a socialist country. It's a capitalist country. I don't have a problem with that. My problem is 
let's make the the playing field level and fair for everyone, no matter who you are, no matter what you are. You have to be able to compete within a capitalist society. And in order to compete, you have to own resources. You have to distribute. Right? There's two type of pe- two different types of people in capitalism. Those that produce goods and those that buy goods. If you want to thrive, you have to be able to produce something. You have to be able to sell something. Nothing wrong with working a nine to five. We we all got to pay the bills. We all got to work a nine to five. But let's think about something we can do on the side so we can generate some extra income and possibly get our own thing running. So if the government shuts down or if your business, if you get laid off from your job, if your job goes out of business, you have something else to fall back on. That's something that we all need to think about. Another point I would like to hit on before I get up out of here. The invention of race. Very interesting. This is something I've been reading upon, studying for years. I am not an expert. I am not a teacher. I am not a lecturer. But I have read various sources or various books from various different authors from various different sources who all agree the invention of race was really said about when people figured out that they could use racism to boost capitalism and they can make a lot of money off of it. I believe there's a book called The Invention of White People by a woman. I believe her name is Jacqueline Battalore or Battalee. She's a college professor. She's a white woman. She talks about this in her book and how when America was, was being settled, people decided they could use racism for capitalistic gains never forget slavery was all wasn't about how you know because white people hate black people so much slavery was about a non-competitive labor force if you have a non-competitive labor force if you can if you are ruling over them you can generate wealth what is a non-competitive labor force it is more economically feasible to pay one price for a person that's going to do a job for a lifetime than it is to pay a person every week to do the same job. Capitalism, racism, their partners. Point blank, period. I'll leave it there. I'm not going to harp on it too much more. And before I get out of here, one thing that's really bothering me is criticism. We have to be able to accept criticism from various forms from various places and just because somebody is critical of a certain individual or a certain thing don't mean they're talking about the whole group i could be critical against jesse smollett i'm not talking about all gay people i believe that representative omar can be critical of the state of israel and she's not talking about all jewish people so when we hear these headlines, when we see these things flying back and forth, let's investigate. Let's find out what's really going on. Let's find out what's really happening. And if the person deserves to have that label put on them, then they deserve it. Put it on them. But if it's just a headline, political fodder, if it's just something that really doesn't make sense, let's all just take a step back. Remember, the point of me doing this broadcast isn't to have you think how I think. But just to make sure you're thinking, 
And this has been the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast. I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in. You can catch this broadcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. I'm on YouTube. Please follow me on Instagram at unprocessed underscore knowledge. Hit the like button, repost, subscribe. It isn't going to cost you anything. If you want to support this show even further, you can find my work on Amazon.com. Hypocrisy in America, the veil of white supremacy. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. You're talking with a double standard. If I talk to black people about what white folk have done to us, that's hate. If Jews talk to the world about what the Germans did to them, that's remembering.